Over the course of my life, I've discovered that my deepest wants and my deepest wishes don't usually go deep enough. In fact, I've found they don't even get close. And, and here's how I've discovered it. Over the course of my life, I've had a lot of celebrations. I mean, as with all of us, there have been things in my life that I have deeply wanted and deeply wished that have come true, and, and I was able to celebrate those things. But without exception, after the celebration, I have found that those things have failed to provide what I was looking for. I, they failed, in the end, to live up to my expectation. I mean, in each case, I thought that, that when those things happened, I mean, I wished for them and wanted them deeply, and I thought when they happened, they would make me feel what I didn't feel, happy or contented or at peace or valuable or significant or fulfilled. But they didn't. Not for the long haul. I mean, sometimes things give you that short fix, right? That short buzz of joy, that short fix of contentment. I got it. It's there. But, but it never lasted. Not for the long haul. Made no difference at all, no matter how deeply I wanted or how much I wished it. It's true in possessions that I've wanted and wished for, in achievements that I've longed for, in opportunities, and even relationships. Not one has lived up to my expectation. And I know for a fact, because I've had the privilege of dealing with so many people in my ministry and life, that the same is true for you. I mean, you've deeply wanted and longed for something, thinking that it would bring you what you were missing, and and it just didn't happen. And here's the dangerous thing about this reality that we experience. What we really want and wish for as human beings ultimately drives how we live. I mean, because we line our lives up for and organize our lives in order to achieve what we want and we wish. That's that's what's going on. And so what we value, what we seek, what we focus on, what we live for, and ultimately the great celebrations we throw in life all stem from and are driven by what we want and wish. So wanting and wishing for the wrong things celebrating the wrong things, has disastrous results because it can lead us to waste our entire lives. Because we can want and wish and live for and seek and ultimately celebrate that which is ultimately going to leave us empty. Well, at its core, this is what our passage in the book of Mark is about this weekend. In Mark chapter 2, there was a guy and his friends who wanted and wished more than anything else for him to be healed physically, for him to be healed of, of what the Bible says was paralysis of some kind. At a minimum, he couldn't walk, but more than likely, he didn't have control of all of his limbs. And they thought this was his greatest need. They wanted it. They wished for it deeply. They were willing to structure their whole lives to get it. If, if this could get fixed in this guy's life, they thought, if he could walk again, get control of his limbs, he'd have everything he ever needed. Nothing else would matter. He'd be happy and content and at peace and fulfilled. But of course, they were wrong. That wasn't his deepest need, his greatest need. As it turned out, though, there was certainly nothing wrong with wanting and wishing this. Of course he would want to walk and have use of his limbs. It just wasn't a deep enough wish or want to focus his entire life on. After all, just think about it. I'll I'll let you get at the truth of this by asking you a question. 
aren't there a lot of people in this world who can walk that are still miserable and unfulfilled? Isn't that like, well, the majority of people? I mean, think about it. I mean, they, they can walk, but they still desperately are wanting and wishing for something else in their lives that they think will make them happy and fulfilled. For some, they can walk, they have control of their limbs, but, oh God, if you would just give me that one relationship, that friendship, or, or maybe that, that marriage that I've longed for, then I'd have everything I want. But then there are those, of course, who, who have that. And so they can walk and they have use of their limbs and they have a relationship like most people long for, many people don't have, but, but oh, they just know that the deep need that they have for fullness, that which will come along and make them happy is a job. Either they don't have a job right now, admittedly an important thing, or they don't have the right job. And so they just believe, oh, my deepest wish, my deepest want, that which will leave me wanting nothing else in life, it'll make me happy and fulfilled. It's just the job. But then there are those who, they can walk, they have control of their limbs, they have a relationship, they have a job just like that, but they're still empty and unfulfilled. And so their deep want and their deep wish is for some other thing. Maybe it's a possession, a house, or a place to live. For those of us in Michigan, we know that if we lived in Hawaii, we'd be happy and never need anything else. And I mean, it's always this thing. But did you know there are people who can walk and have control of their limbs and have great relationships and great jobs and live in Hawaii, and they're still wanting more crap from God? Did you know that? Can you believe it? They have the gall to be asking for God to give them stuff because they're still looking for something that's missing. And that's what's going on in this text. The problem is, all of our wants and wishes, the deep ones, are, are about trying to find what's missing inside, but when we experience the celebration of those wants and wishes coming true, we find out our wishes weren't deep enough. And with that as context, we're going to jump into our passage in Mark 2, but before we do, I just thought it would be a great idea if we first pray. So would you pray with me? God, I just ask you now to help us to understand that as we open the Bible, that it's not just words that you once spoke, but it's actually words that you're now speaking. Your word is a living word. You have relevant words to speak to us from your word right now. And I pray that wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, maybe we're not even on the spiritual journey of faith yet the way we see it, I pray that as a result of being here, you'd help us to know you just a little bit better. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. He had made Capernaum the, the central headquarters for his ministry. That's where he chose to live. And then verse 2 says, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And so, I mean, literally, whatever dwelling he was in, it was absolutely jam-packed and multitudes were gathering around it, surrounding it, trying to get any glimpse of him or any word from him. And when this huge multitude of people inside and out were gathered around him, he preached the word to them, verse 2 says. And I'm going to give you some highlighted thoughts as we go through this, and then I'll try and drive home the point of the passage towards the end. But I'm going to tell you, verses 1 and 2 really are my view of what the church should be like when it's working right. 
I mean, here Jesus was, really showing up, really present, really teaching, really impacting lives. His, his power and promises were being seen and experienced in, in truly vital ways. And what happened? You couldn't keep the people away. It didn't matter that the seats weren't comfortable. They didn't even get seats. They were gathered outside the door. They'd do anything to be close to him. I mean, they, you couldn't keep people away no matter what? And I believe that's what the church should be like when it's working right. They'd be experiencing his presence and his promises. His words would be unleashed in their lives. And no matter how big the gathering places, there just wouldn't be enough room for everyone who wants to be a part of it. That's the church when it's working right. This is why I get joy inside when it takes you an hour to get from North Territorial and Ridge into this auditorium. I love it. The church is working right. Something's going on. And this is why we have so many services. This is why we have you, Brighton, you know, meeting up in Brighton as a regional campus. And we have the Celine campus and the Gross Eel campus. And, and it's because, you know, when people are truly experiencing Jesus, when the church is working right, not perfectly, but working right, boy, people want to come and be a part of it. That's awesome. But I don't know if you noticed the end part of verse 2. What did Jesus do when, when this huge crowd gathered? Well, he preached God's word to them. He opened the scriptures and he shared God's truth. And I just need you to know that will always be at the center of a church that's working right. There are a lot of churches in the world and there's no compelling draw to people. And I'm going to tell you what's often sacrificed is the truth itself. Let's tell people what they want to hear. Let's give them what they want. Let's, let's, you know, appeal to their consumer issues instead of opening God's truth. It's always a mistake. A church that's working right will always make God's word the center because that's what Jesus did. And can I give you an aside here? Putting God's word at the center is always what happens in a life that's working right. And the reason so many lives aren't working right is because so few people have put... In God's truth, God's word at the center of their lives. And this is why, and you may have missed it last week, but this is why we gave you the chair challenge. And I really encourage you, if you didn't experience last week's talk, if we give it away online, please go to it and accept the challenge because it's when we sit down in a chair and we open God's word that life starts coming into alignment for us. And by the way, everything I just said has nothing to do with my talk. That's free. That is for free just for the price of coming. Thank you very much. Mark chapter 2, verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed guy, a paralytic, carried by four of them. So a bunch of friends got together with a guy they loved and cared about who was paralyzed, and, and they were going to bring him to Jesus. And four of these guys carried him on the mat he was on. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through the roof, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, now if, can we just stop there? There's so much that's not in these verses. I mean, there's like a bunch of skip forwards. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, first of all, they come, and they've got their guy. They've made a huge effort to get this guy to Jesus, believing that Jesus could heal him. And there's a crowd they can't get in. They can't get in. All of those people saved seats. And the guests couldn't get in, right? And they were parked all the way around the building. I mean, there was just no getting in. And they're going, oh, my gosh. But they didn't stop. No. You know what a lot of people do? Oh, there's traffic. Who wants to go to a church that people want to go to? Let's turn around and go home. I mean, really? It's crazy. But they didn't do that. No. All of a sudden, the text has them on the roof. They're on the, 
Now, look, you've got to be there. Put yourself in the story. How'd they get there? Do you know how many people they got the finger from, button through the crowd, you know? Excuse me, 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 to the house. And then they're to the house. They go, we can't get inside. There's a roof. So they, I don't know how. They they climbed up on the roof. They got on the roof, but they, they were kind of like me. You know, often I'm an activist. Yeah, let's do it. And then I get on the roof and you go, we're on the roof. This doesn't really help all that much. So they said, got another plan. Let's tear the roof off the house and lower our friend down to Jesus. This is creative stuff. And I don't know how they lowered their friend down to Jesus. I don't know. They, some kind of pulley system. They brought in a crane or something. I don't know. They lowered the guy down in front of Jesus. They're working hard, man. And then verse 5 starts this way. I'll tell you what Jesus does in a minute, but verse 5 starts with these five words. When Jesus saw their faith. Now that's fascinating. Because faith is invisible, right? Isn't faith something inside? I mean, it's something we express, we believe, our values, faith, trust. But this passage says, when Jesus saw their faith, how did he see their faith? Thank you for participating. It's such a joy to have people involved in the conversation. It's so awesome. Jesus saw their faith by their action. I mean, think about it. These guys believed enough to go to this length to get their friend to Jesus. What they did outwardly made the reality of their inward faith obvious. Jesus saw their faith. It was obvious. These guys loved this paralyzed man. They loved him. That was obvious. Why would you do this for someone you didn't love? You'll, you'll do anything for someone you genuinely love, right? Anything. And these people had to believe that Jesus had the power to heal their friend because they wouldn't let any obstacle, any cost, any challenge, any amount of offense that people gave to them stop them from getting this guy to Jesus. And how did Jesus know they had faith? He saw it. They ripped a roof apart. Now here's the deal. And I I just need you to get this. Genuine faith and compassion are always accompanied by action. When you genuinely love someone, it always results in you acting on that love for them. And when you genuinely have faith in something or someone, it is always accompanied by action. These guys love this guy, believe Jesus could heal him, and it created action in their lives. You can't keep genuine faith and compassion hidden. Mark that down in your mind. Genuine faith and compassion have to be expressed no matter the obstacle or cost. These guys prove it. Marching on, Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, what did he do? This is awesome. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Oh, crap, that's not how the story's supposed to go. That's really messed up. He got all religious on them. They wanted, that's not what they wanted. 
I want you to see something really, really important once you get by the fact that I just said crap out loud in church. Okay, I want you to see something really important. God always responds to faith. Mark this down. God always, always, always responds to faith. When Jesus saw their faith. I mean, they had faith, the guy and his friends. They had faith. And what does God do when he sees faith? He responds. He always responds. But that's not how we think. We think that God's not responding. We're putting our faith in him and we're trusting him and he's not doing what we want him to do and he's not coming through and he's not responding. Some of us are bitter and angry. Some of us have actually stopped personally pursuing him even though publicly we're still here. I mean, I know. I've been there too. But we're wrong. When God sees faith, he always responds to it. But get this, and this is what this passage teaches us. He doesn't necessarily respond in the way we wanted him to respond. And he doesn't necessarily respond in the way we expect him to respond. Mark it down. He always responds in faith to our faith. But he doesn't respond the way we want or expect. This is a great example, this story right here, where the story all of a sudden went wrong. And I'll let you prove it went wrong. Let me ask you this question. Was Jesus' response, you know, your sins are forgiven, my son, God bless you for coming in the confessional. Was Jesus' response what they were looking for? All right, thank you for those of you who had coffee. Now for the non-coffee drinkers. Was Jesus' response what they were looking for? No. Absolutely not. They didn't go through all that trouble with their friend. How many ever miles they had to carry him on the mat, going through the crowd, taking abuse from people who thought they were taking cuts, climbing up on the roof, tearing the roof off, creating the pulley system to lower him down. They did not do that to hear, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) They did that because they wanted to hear the words. Rise up and walk. Those were the words. And I'm telling you, they lowered him down and they were thinking, he's going to say it. Oh man, he's going to say it. And they knew he was going to say it. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. They couldn't wait. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. And he goes, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to tell you, the whole crowd went, boo! I know this because I'm a Lions fan. And listen, Detroit Lions fans, this is important. You'll spend money, you'll invest money, you'll dream of going to the game. Let's say it's the first playoff game in a long time and you have to travel to Dallas to go down there and you're so excited, you expect so much, and then they do what the Lions do. (laughs) They lose, and how do you leave? Boo! That's just what you do. You love them, but you're booing them, and that's what's going on here. Boo! Their response was major disappointment. By the way, if you're a lion, I'm really sorry. Keep coming. Win the Super Bowl once, just once in my lifetime, please. I'm 56 years old, you've won squat. Just win the Super Bowl. That'd be great. All right, just a thought. As you can see, I'm focused on the important things this morning. All right. They were major disappointed. And this shows the major problem that we all have. It's a huge problem. We tend to miss 
God's response to our faith because we're wanting the wrong stuff. We tend to miss God's response to our faith because we're looking for and expecting the wrong things. And it's seen in what we do and don't celebrate. We celebrate some of the stupidest things. I've had calls, got a great house, that's awesome, really glad. But that same person has never called and said, Jesus has changed my life. We, we celebrate the wrong stuff, and we don't celebrate the right stuff. That's what's going on in this passage. No one celebrated. Read the story. No one celebrated when God responded by forgiving this guy. They did all this work. The most important thing in this guy's life is that he has a relationship with God, hope for eternity, and they, Jesus saw his faith, and, and, and he responded. And he said, your sins are forgiven. And no one, no one celebrated But later, you're going to see, as we get to the text, everyone celebrated when the guy walked away. They're celebrating the wrong stuff. People then, as today, valued the wrong things. I mean, think about it. They valued the physical over the spiritual. They valued temporary things over the eternal. It's great that he got healed physically, ultimately. It's great. But, but do you know what happened to him? I, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. He died. He couldn't walk anymore again. That was temporary. But you know what happened because he was forgiven? When he died and couldn't walk on this planet anymore, he stood in God's presence, walking in Jesus' presence, and it was transformative. And yet no one cheered the spiritual healing. They only cheered the physical healing. And this is how we are. We, we, we celebrate the external things, the things we can see, but the things we can't see, nah. And here's what you need to know. When we do this, we miss what God is doing. And when we miss what God is doing, we miss out on everything we're really wanting. Great story in the Bible, and I love how the Bible kind of confirms our own weaknesses. A guy named Peter, you all know Peter, he became, you know, pretty important guy in the early church. And and he was kind of a mess early on. And one time in Mark chapter 6, Jesus was saying, look at the reason I've come, it's it's about time for it to be fulfilled. I'm going to have to suffer and die. Um, You know, I've lived out a perfect life that you fail to do and so since someone has to die for sin I'm going to be the perfect lamb of God and I'm going to have to suffer and die and be buried but don't worry I'll rise again and Peter he's just awesome Peter grabs him by the arm and pulls him aside privately and says hey not on my watch not happening man I'm not letting you die and Jesus looks at him in Mark 6.33 and he says Get behind me, Satan. Wow, that's powerful language. And this is why Jesus said, you're my Satan right now. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God. You only have in mind the things of men. What do you think was going on in this house where that paralytic was? They had in mind the things of men. What's important to us? Our physical bodies, our physical circumstances. That's our deepest wish and our deepest want, and it's never deep enough. They were the Satan in that moment. They were the evil. They were the darkness in that moment. 
Not because they were horrible people, but because they didn't have in mind the things of God. They had in mind the things of men. And here's the reality. This is us. We celebrate the insignificant and we don't even recognize the significant. We miss what God is doing just like Peter did. Not on my watch. Are you all with me so far? Are you okay? All right. Then we can move on. Mark chapter 2. Let's go to verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there. Now when I first read this, I went, yo, finally, teachers of the law. I knew. Teachers, these are people who sit in the chair, who open the word, and who know it so well, they're teaching others. And when you know it so well, you know that all the law was pointing to the fact that we're broken and we've sinned and we're separated from God, but that, but that Jesus wasn't. And that he would fulfill all the law and that this Messiah, when he came, would then die for sin and be raised again. I mean, that's what the promises of Isaiah are about and all this different stuff. And so they're teachers of the law. I'm going, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. Nope. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. They weren't saying stuff out loud. Of course not. God forbid they speak what they're really feeling out loud. They were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow... And by the way, calling Jesus fellow gives you a clue. They might not have known who he was. Kind of like you guys who call him the man upstairs. Ooh. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming, they thought to themselves. By the way, blaspheming means vilely disrespecting God. He's disrespecting God. Why? And the last question tells us why. Who can forgive sins but God alone, they were asking themselves. Who, who can forgive sins? This guy thinks he's God. Obviously, the people here, the teachers of the law, those who were opening the scriptures, didn't recognize or understand who Jesus was. They didn't understand what he was capable of. They, they didn't understand what he came for. They, even though they were teachers of the law, they missed it. And the same is true for us today. Many of us know the Bible. Many of us open the Bible. Many of us read it. Many of us are here, and we're here a lot, and we're doing this stuff. And you know what we do? The same thing they did. We miss the entire point, all the while claiming that we know it. And when you miss what God is doing, it keeps people from experiencing everything Jesus came to bring them. Think about us. We're willing to seek Jesus for some stuff in our lives. We're willing to seek him for some good teaching. Some of it we don't like so much, but for the good stuff, we'll take it. And for some good values, some of the values old to us, we don't agree with those anymore, but some of the good ones we still hold to if it works in our world. And, and then we seek Jesus for, for some help with some stuff in our lives, don't we? I mean, Jesus, help me with my finances is a big one. Help me with my job deal. Help me with my marriage. God knows my husband's a jerk. Please help me with him. And, and you know, uh, help me with my hurts and my brokenness and my disappointments and all that but but we don't generally seek him for what we need the most and you know what we need the most what he gave this guy we need his forgiveness the most look at mark chapter 2 verse 8 immediately jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts oh this is a scary passage Okay, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? It's interesting. Jesus knew what they were thinking. 
It's interesting. He knows what you're thinking right now about me. And he's going to tell me. No, he, he won't, unfortunately. I'd love to know. But anyway, he... He, he knows what they're thinking in their hearts. He knows what we're thinking in our hearts and our minds. Right now, he sees what's on the outside of our lives. He saw their faith through their action, but he also sees what's on the inside of our lives. Mark chapter 2, verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed guy, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Jesus asked that question. Now, the truth be known, the people in that crowd right then would have answered, get up, and walk. That's harder to say. Because we can see if that happens or not. This sin's being forgiven stuff. Who knows? It's pretty mystical to me. But we can see that. But Jesus makes it clear that view is wrong. That's our view, but it's wrong. Jesus makes clear that forgiveness is a bigger and harder thing to accomplish than simply healing a body. And that's a big deal. You see, the body is only temporary, and so the healing of a body is, it's only a temporary work, but the soul is eternal. The healing and forgiving of a soul, that's eternal work. Being able to walk around for a little while doesn't change a person's entire reality. They can still be empty and unfulfilled and unhappy and all that stuff, as many of us prove, but boy, truly understanding forgiveness in the soul, the removal of guilt, what it is to know God, that's something that lasts forever. And as we'll see in a moment, to heal this guy's body is easy, easy stuff for God. I mean, all he has to do is speak it. He's God. I, this is the God who spoke the universe into existence, right? Recently, we've been hearing about NASA and this ship that they spent, sent out into space like a billion miles away, and it's, it's now rotating around. How do they do this? Rotating around a dwarf planet. I didn't even know there were dwarf planets. Did you know there were dwarf planets? I don't even know if it's politically correct to call them that, but they are. And they're doing this way out there. He spoke all that into existence. Do you think it's really tough for him to say, little leggies, little leggies, walk? That's easy. But you know what's really hard for him to forgive? You know why? Because he had already said, the soul that sins will die. And he's a just God and a righteous God and a holy God, and he can't lie. The soul that sins die. Even God can't just wave his magic wand over that one. And so what he had to do is he had to come and live out the perfect life that we've all failed, and then he died the death in our place, God himself in our place. Why? So that he could forgive us and still be holy and righteous and just. No, forgiveness is the hard thing. It would demand a cross. They just didn't get it. And so he goes a step further to prove it to them and to us. Look at Mark chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. But that you may know that the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins, that I can truly transform a person inside and out. He said to the paralyzed guy, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He said the words. Take your mat, go home, get up. And so he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. And then look at this. The Bible says it. They did the wave. (laughs) 
They were amazed and everyone was praising God. No one was amazed when he said, your sins are forgiven. No one was amazed when he transformed this life for eternity. Yeah, 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 get to the good stuff. But when this guy was walking, whoo, they won the Super Bowl. We've never seen anything like this. Jesus performed a major and a minor miracle in this passage. But most people didn't know which was which. And they proved it by what they celebrated and what they didn't celebrate. They celebrated the guy walking. They could have cared less that the guy's sins were forgiven. And yet, the guy's sins being forgiven, that was the major miracle. And and don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. Physical miracles are awesome. Don't you wish we'd see a bunch of them? That'd be great. My dad was... Um, stricken with polio when he was 17 years old and he couldn't walk after that basically and and I was born when he was 27 and so I and my three brothers never had a dad that could play football with us or baseball with us or water ski with us or run with us or be active with us in those ways that was our mom not our dad I would have loved it if someone could have healed my dad But if they had, my dad would still be dead 14 years now. But because he experienced the great miracle of God's forgiveness, though he's dead and he died with crippled legs, he now walks on wonderfully healthy legs in the presence of Jesus forever and ever and ever. That's the major miracle here. We're celebrating the wrong things in our life, which means we're living for and valuing and wanting the wrong things here. We have this problem. We're amazed by and celebrate stuff that in eternity doesn't matter, and we don't celebrate the only thing that in eternity will matter. Here's the truth I want you to get from this passage this weekend. The greatest miracle of God And he's still working great miracles today. The greatest miracle of God is one that he offers every single day to every single person. It's forgiveness. It's the greatest miracle because it's the harder miracle. It took the cross. It's the greater miracle because it's the one thing that everyone in the world needs. It's true some are physically blind. It's true some can't walk like my dad. It's true, some are paralyzed and have no control over their limbs, but, it, but it's only some. But everyone is spiritually blind, and everyone is incapable of walking with God, and everyone is paralyzed when it comes with doing anything to please God. Because Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are crippled by our own sin. I want you to realize the reason our deepest wishes don't go deep enough and our deepest wants don't go deep enough is because we misdiagnose our problem. In our passage, the man's problem was far bigger than he thought it was. He thought that his problem was his physical paralysis, that the reason he didn't have happiness or or significance or contentment or peace or fulfillment was because he had no control over his limbs. And his 
as debilitating as that was for him, that wasn't what was keeping him from those things. It was his spiritual paralysis. It was his sin. And the same is true for us. Our problem, whatever we think it is, isn't really our problem. And we all came in here today thinking there was something holding us back from knowing God more, thinking there was something holding us back from enjoying life more, thinking that there was something that was causing our emptiness and keeping us from fulfillment. And, and some of you were thinking maybe economically and jobs and money or others of you relationally and, and if you had a better marriage or a better person to be married or to or whatever. Some of you were thinking about health and all these different things. But our problem isn't what we are or aren't experiencing in life. Our problem is that we are sinners. And that landed exactly like when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven in this story. Our problem is we're sinners. You go, come on, get to the important stuff. That is the important stuff. That's the whole thing. We need Jesus to heal us on the inside. That's where contentment is found and peace and joy, not from the problems we think we have. We need God's great miracle. Look at Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, that's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Forgiveness is the greater miracle because it's the hardest. Forgiveness is the greater miracle because it, we all need it. Forgiveness is the greater miracle because it isn't just a temporary fix. I've had some big wants and big wishes in my life that have come true and I've celebrated. But it turned out they were just a short-term fix for a long-term problem. Emptiness. Unfulfillment. And it's only Jesus that can solve that one. Forgiveness is eternal. And you know, it's interesting. We'll do just about anything to fix the problems we have, won't we? Whether it's a possession issue or a vocation issue or an economic issue. or We'll do anything. We'll do anything to try and fix that problem, thinking that when that's fixed, we're good. And then we're not. And yet, do you know what it takes to experience the great miracle? the one that really does fix who we are on the inside, do you know what it takes? Jesus said it in Matthew 2, 5, and he responded, when he saw their, what? When he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. They didn't have to jump through hoops. They didn't have to go through catechism class. They didn't become a religious fanatic. They didn't have to wear different clothes. They didn't have to go to confessionals. They didn't have to do anything. Nothing wrong with some of that stuff. That's not what they had to do. You know what they had to do? Trust them. Faith. The only requirement for us to experience the major miracle of what we need most, forgiveness, is faith. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. If it was, you could boast about it. You want the major miracle of God that can come in and solve all the problems that you're really experiencing within that nothing else can solve your inside issues? All you have to do is trust him to forgive you. He died, he was buried, he rose again so you could know forgiveness. That's worth celebrating. 
Now there's a major application to this text that I want to give you. But before we do, it's essential that you have the opportunity to know him first. And so I'm going to ask you right here, before the ending of the talk, to just bow with me in a word of prayer, if you would, just for a minute. Just bow with me. And those of you in Brighton, I just really encourage you. So glad you're a part of this. Would you just bow as well? And if you're watching online, the same. And if you're ready to take this step and say, I want the great miracle of God in my life, forgiveness, just pray with me. Take my words and make them yours. Just say, God, by faith, I'm accepting your gift of forgiveness. I know I've sinned and I've messed up. I'm broken. But I know that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me and rose again to give me new life. And I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus, and praying this in your name. Amen. Now, just before I give you this last application, which is so important to all of us who know Jesus, if you just prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you, if you're in Brighton or here in Plymouth, just take out the program and rip out that connection card. And on the bottom, check that circle that says you prayed to receive Jesus with me. And then as you're leaving, at all of the exits are boxes. Just throw it in there. Or you could take it, maybe in Brighton, you just want to take it to the guest service desk in the lobby. And what we'll do is we'll do the rest. We'll send you information about next steps you can take with God. And if you're watching online, just hit the what next thing and we'll do the same thing for you. But here's what I want you to know. If you've ever put your faith in Jesus, God always responds to faith. He always responds. It's awesome. But now here's what I want you to take away with you from this passage. I think this can be life-changing. It's what's really changing me these days. When we express true, personal, private faith in Jesus, it doesn't stay private. I mean, this is so important to remember. I said it earlier. I wanted it to stick. I want to apply it now. When we really put our faith in Jesus privately... It goes public. It doesn't stay hidden. It's impossible. Ephesians 2 says all we need to do to experience the miracle of forgiveness is to trust, not work, but to trust. But look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, once we're forgiven, created in Christ Jesus to, what's that next word? Yeah, thank you. To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. What's that next word? Do. You can't keep private faith hidden because private faith motivates public doing. Think about the four guys in this story. These four guys took their friend to Jesus. I mean, they let nothing stop them. They were going to get this guy to the one who could heal him. No obstacle, no cost, no challenge, no amount of embarrassment would stop them from doing it. And when Jesus saw that, he said, I see your faith. I see your faith. Because true faith within never, ever remains within. It always transforms who we are on the outside. Always. Always. So here's my question. These four guys showed their faith. How about us? How much effort, this is just one application, how much effort are we putting into getting people to Jesus? You know, our thems, the people in our sphere, in the workplace, neighborhoods, communities, families, etc. How much effort are we putting 
into getting people to Jesus. If not much, I think we have some evaluation to do. We need to evaluate two things. We need to evaluate our love for people, and we need to evaluate our faith in Jesus. Because think about it. If we're not putting much effort into getting people to Jesus, we either don't genuinely believe that Jesus is the answer for the problems they're facing. We don't believe that Jesus can transform their lives. We either don't believe that or we don't love those people enough to care. Now I know, I understand, some of you are going, look at you don't understand. I'd kind of like my boss to go to hell. I get that. I get it. I understand. That's how the staff at Northridge Church feels about me. I fully understand this thing, but It's not really the right attitude, right? We need to love people enough to do whatever it takes to get them to the one who can transform their lives. But the problem is we genuinely don't believe that Jesus is the answer or we don't genuinely love people enough. Which is it? If we're not doing much, like these four guys, to get are thems to Jesus, then we need to evaluate what we're valuing, what we're living for, what we're focusing on, and ultimately what we're celebrating. And I bet you you've had a lot of celebrations in the last year, but I would bet not many of them were about someone's life being changed whom you brought to Jesus. And that needs to be what we celebrate. Here's the truth, remember. The greatest miracle of God is one that he offers every day to everyone. It's forgiveness. So let me give you an application that you can walk away with. When we genuinely experience Jesus in our lives, what we celebrate changes. Because what we value and what we seek and what we live for, what we want and what we wish for changes. When we genuinely experience Jesus in our lives, how we live changes. There's nothing we should want more than for others to experience Jesus and his forgiveness once we've experienced it. So let me ask you, have you shared Jesus with anyone lately? Ever? Have you invited anyone to church at least to a place where they could hear about Jesus from someone else lately? Ever? Easter's four weekends away. And here at Northridge, we're having 16 services, 10 here in Plymouth and two on each of our other campuses, two at our new campus in Brighton. And so Brighton, you've got two services to fill up for Easter. And, and we're doing it so that no one we'll tear our roof off to get people into Jesus. That's why we're doing it. We want to have plenty of seats available, plenty of opportunities, and we're believing that you care enough about the people in your world to do whatever it takes to get them to experience Jesus, and Easter is a great opportunity. My question, do you have any thoughts about who you're going to invite? Have you done anything to do it? It's only four weekends away. What do you think the four guys in our passage this weekend would be doing? I think they might be inviting people to come experience Jesus. Let's be like them. 
Let's show our love for people and our faith in Jesus. As we leave here this weekend, I want to share with you what I'm wrestling with. I'm going to be asking myself as I leave here this weekend some questions. Am I wanting and wishing for the right things? Am I celebrating the right things? And I'm going to ask these questions and I'm wrestling with it because if I'm not valuing and celebrating the right things, it means I'm wasting a life and there's no bigger waste than that. And I just want to challenge you to be asking yourself, am I wanting and wishing the right things? Am I celebrating the right things? Because, listen, if you're not, you're wasting your life and there's nothing bigger that you could waste than that. Let's not waste our lives. Let's truly experience the great miracle and then help others experience it. Now, I know because I've been wrestling with this that some of you are now wrestling with this talk spiritually. It's Stuff's going on in you. And, and we don't want to just rush you out. We've got a team of people who uh, would love to have a further conversation with you if you'd like to talk to them about it or maybe to pray for you or pray with you and and that might seem odd, but it's not. We make it very easily. As everyone else is going to be dismissed and walking out, all you have to do is kind of find your way to the front down here and sit in these front rows, and that team will come, and they'll just un- um, unobnoxiously, kindly, gently sit down with you and pray for you or talk with you. I hope that you'll do that. For the rest of you, I hope that you'll go out celebrating the right things because it's in celebrating the right things that we experience all that Jesus wants for us. And isn't that what we really want. So glad you were here. See you next time.